Welcome to the audio podcast ministry of The Bridge. In all that we do, our priority is to lead all people from all places to be all in with Jesus. We hope that by providing this message in this way, it will be an encouragement to those of you who have already decided to follow Jesus, as well as a way home for those of you who have not yet said yes to Him. You can find out more, as well as support this ministry, by going to bridgeclarksville.com. In December, we looked at the manger, which kind of makes sense. I don't think our church was unique in that. Took a look at the manger in December, and in January this month, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus. And we've been walking through those each week, taking a different miracle that Jesus performed and looking at how that translates over into our lives today. And if nothing else, I hope at the end of this, at the end of this month, that you've been able to find courage to believe again to hope again, to begin to dream bigger, to begin to pray bigger, and know what we know to be true, that everything is possible. And God is the God of miracles. He did miracles. He does miracles. He still is willing to do miracles, whether it be in our lives, inside of our hearts, things going on here, whether it be outside, even physical, external kind of things. So we know God still does those miracles. And I hope that you've been encouraged to believe again if you've maybe gone through a season of life where you began to wonder and even doubt. Well, throughout God's story, you're going to see that miracles are rarely quiet, nice, neat, and tidy events. Most of the time when Jesus performs a miracle, it is a little disruptive, it is a little out there, it is inconvenient, it is difficult to miss. There is a lot that is changed after the miracle. It's, it, it's not a very quiet, it's not a very um, precise process. The miracles are usually in the middle of something else going on and Jesus responds, responds with compassion, responds with power. And I think maybe more than any other miracle that we've looked at this month, the one that we're going to look at today gives us all of that. It is disruptive, it is inconvenient, it's a little messy, and it's a little confusing at times as well. And if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 2, Mark is the second of the four Gospels that start our New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the Gospel of Mark, we find a miracle that is also captured in two other of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all write about this same event that happened. It happened in a city called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was actually Jesus' uh, home at this time. We know he was born in Bethlehem, and then he left. He was in Egypt for a while while they were escaping some uh, threats that were going on. Jesus' earthly dad, Joseph, brought them back, and they went to Nazareth and built a home there. And then after Jesus grew up, and as his public ministry, sometimes it's often called, was beginning, the religious leaders in Nazareth said, we don't want you here. They kicked him out of town. And from that point forward, Capernaum seemed to be a bit of a home base For Jesus. So when it talks about going to his home, it's often talking about Capernaum. How much time he spent there, uh, we don't exactly know. But Capernaum was his home. People knew him there, but they didn't necessarily know him as the Messiah, know him as the Son of God. They knew him as Jesus, Joseph and Mary's son, uh, brother to several other brothers and sisters. They knew him that way, and maybe some of them were beginning to believe, but they did know about some miracles that he was performing. 
So there is a place in Capernaum where Jesus was on one particular day. And some people were crowding around, wanting to hear more, wanting, hoping to see more, and wanting to get as close as they possibly could to him. So Mark chapter 2, verse 2 says, They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So we have a few men who cared so much about their friend that they were willing to carry him to the place where they heard that Jesus was. Whether this man said, get me to Jesus because I want to be healed, okay, we'll do that. Or whether the men went to him and said, I heard Jesus is down the road, do you want us to take you to him? Either way, they picked him up, literally, took him to Jesus, they arrived didn't have any access to get inside, couldn't fit in. It's a little hard to squeeze through when you're carrying a man and a mat with you. So four guys are holding their friend. It's hard just to sneak in. They ended up ascending to the rooftop. So they're on the house and they find the spot right about where Jesus is teaching and they're standing above him. We know this because it says it lowered, they lowered him down right in front of Jesus there. So they're up on top, and as I imagine the story, I wonder how long into Jesus' preaching that he went before he acknowledged what was going on. Like, there are disruptions, and then there are disruptions. And um, I am no Jesus, I know that, but I've spent much of my life communicating and trying to share Jesus with people, and there have been tons of distractions. Some are people, some are animals. We've had events go on. There are sounds that happen all the time. Power may go out. You might have birds that have come in to nest and want to. We remember, we remember. Uh, We have birds that come in. They want to make a scene. I've experienced all those things. I've been in other places before, in other countries, where the culture was just very different, and all around you've got different kinds of things going on. When the bridge first started, we were down in Riverside Drive here in Clarksville, and we had a giant window right beside us in the room where we were meeting and having our time together, and barges would go by, and I would completely lose all focus if everyone around for about the next seven minutes as we all watched the barge go by. Like, disruptions happen. And as a communicator, as a speaker, teacher, and many of you have been in the same, uh, those same kinds of environments, you know, you just, in the beginning, you try to overlook it. Just maybe if I don't acknowledge it, maybe they won't know what's going on. In the back of your mind, you know better. Like, everybody's listening, or everybody's watching, or everybody sees it, or everybody's fearing the same thing, but you're thinking, ah, we'll just go on. And then you get to a point where you just think, Okay, let's just all acknowledge what's happening here. And Jesus is teaching, and he's doing his best to communicate to the people there while you have five men on a roof. You got four men and their friend, and that's not a quiet thing. So a lot's happening. You know what's going on. And then you begin to hear scratching and clawing right above you. And then there begins to be debris falling down and little chunks of dried wood and mud and and straw and things begin to float down. And then there's a little sunlight that starts to peek above. And at that point, I'm assuming Jesus just stopped and said, okay, guys, let's just look at the show. And he looks up 
and you see fingers come through, and then there's a forearm, and then you've got some grown men staring down like it's lost, looking down the hatch, like, hey, you know, we're okay, and they're looking down at what's going on, and then they begin to lower their man through a hole in the roof. Must have been at least four feet long for any grown man to squeeze down into a spot to be able to fit through that, and maybe two and a half, three feet wide. It's, it's a lot of damage that they've done to this person's house at this point. And if you've ever tried to just raise or lower anything with the help of three other people, you know that's not really smooth. So you've got a man lowered down and a little too much to the left and a little too much to the right and too much to the front. If you've ever been sick and been in a hospital and you've been in the bed and they've rolled you down the hallway, there are moments where you have to stop for different reasons, and then people just walk by and look at you, and it's very awkward. Just, how do, you, do you smile? Do you, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm okay, I'm, you know, I'm getting, getting better. So I, you know, what, do you, what do you say as you're going down? Like, you don't know how to communicate what's going on. But this man's being lowered. He's completely conscious. So he's just lowered down, and people are looking at him, and he's peeking out over his blanket, and Hey, everybody, like, what do you do in that moment? Just such an awkward five minutes of just watching this body lower down. And he gets right in front of Jesus. And Mark tells us in verse five that Jesus' first words to him were, your sins are forgiven. They haven't met each other. No pleasantries were exchanged. Just your sins are forgiven. And if I'm the man, I'm thinking, for the vandalism? Or like for the what... What if I, trespassing? What, your sins are forgiven. And I think that man was probably a lot more intelligent than me. And I think he knew it was not for the roof. He said, your sins are forgiven. So the man's in front of Jesus and he just came to get his feet fixed. And Jesus said, I'm not gonna fix your feet. I'm gonna fix your faith. Your sins are forgiven. And at that moment, things begin to change for some of those in the room because they came to see and hear something powerful and even miraculous. They were ready for a miracle. What they were not ready for was to hear Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. Because in their minds, when they're hearing that, they're seeing someone who has put himself in the place of God. And that's different than someone who might be a prophet and might have the ability to be a conduit for God's power to bring about a miracle in someone's life. That's different. So in verse six, Mark says that some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? When people sin around us, we hear about it, read about it, or even in our own circles. When people sin, we immediately think about the people that they've wronged, whether it's us or someone else. Like what's going to happen? What are the consequences going to be? How are the cops going to respond? How will the judge respond? How will he respond? How will she? What will they do? How will the company handle this? How will the neighbors feel? How will the wife? We immediately go to the people who have been wronged. And we understand why. It makes a lot of sense. Those are the people we see. Those are the stories we can read. But these religious leaders knew enough to know that when a person sins, the main issue is not the person that was done wrong, so to speak. It's the fact that God was done wrong. That when you and I sin, when we step outside of what God asks us to do, we always hurt someone. 
But even beyond that, we're offensive to God and we're hurting him. Whether it's pride, ego, jealousy, betrayal, lying, whatever the deception is, ultimately it's an offense against God. And the religious leaders knew that. So the only person that can forgive an offense against God is actually God. So their issue with him was, you don't have the authority to do this. So Jesus responded in verse eight. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So just as we've seen all month long, another miracle, another group of people amazed, another invitation for people to go deeper in their faith, to believe in a way they never have believed before, another chance for lives to be changed, But the question I want us to think through for just a moment is, what was the miracle that happened? Now, if you have a Bible, maybe if you're old like me and have a paper Bible, um, it has headings. And even on the app, you'll have a heading at times. And the miracle tells us it's the healing of the paralyzed man or something to that effect, probably. But I'm looking at this, reading this, and hearing what Jesus said and wondering if we've missed the miracle here. Because in verse 9, going back, Jesus said, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Almost as if Jesus was saying, which miracle is harder? Because they're both pretty stinking miraculous. For me to tell someone, your offense against Almighty God is covered. You're free and you're clean. Or to say, I fixed your feet, now get up and go home. Which one is more powerful? Which one is harder? Which one is more difficult? Well, last week I gave you a working definition of a miracle, being a mercy-inspired invitation to believe that's been wrapped up in a plan. And all those things are true. And so I began to think through both of these instances and say, which miracle was undeserved? When I say which one, meaning the the healing of spiritual paralysis or the healing of the physical paralysis. Which one was undeserved? Well, they both were. Which miracle produced deeper belief in Jesus? Well, both of them did. Which miracle had the potential to be a domino that changed the lives of everyone involved? Well, both of them did. But the fact that Jesus is asking the question this way and the fact that it was the forgiveness, it was the forgiving miracle that actually offended the religious leaders in the room more than the other makes me think maybe that was the one that Jesus was referring to that was more difficult. But the people had not ever really thought about forgiveness being a miracle. And maybe you've never thought about forgiveness being a miracle. But Jesus did, and Jesus still does. So I want us to take a look and 
go through God's story briefly and look at a few moments of connection where it's really, really clear. And to the point where you might even look at some of these verses you've read before and thought, oh, why didn't I tie those together? And it's not because of the wisdom of the speaker right now. We just, we don't read it that way. We look at the miracle or we look at the forgiveness. We don't ever look at the connection that we're going to see here. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking to his uh, 12 followers and he said, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them and if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now, most of us have heard that first part. If someone sins seven times, seven times 70 and a whole deal, I continue to forgive them. We've heard about the faith of a mustard seed. If you just have that much of a faith, you can say to this mountain, move, it'll be moved. You can tell this tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Why wow, you'd want to do that? It's a weird miracle. But if you wanted to do that, it says you can, it can happen. We don't often put these together. And in the middle of both of them, you have the disciples saying, we need a bigger faith. When Jesus called Peter to walk out on water and it didn't work out so well, he realized, I need a bigger faith. Jesus even said, oh, Peter, you don't have enough faith. There are other moments in scripture where Jesus sent out the disciples. He said, I'm sending you out, giving you the power to heal diseases, to heal the sick. You can be a part of everything that I'm doing. You can even bring demons out of people. Like you have the power to do that. He sent them out and they came back and said, it didn't work out so well. We need a bigger faith. And now Jesus is saying, I want you to forgive people when they hurt you, no matter how many times it is. And they said, we need a bigger faith. And there is this connection between the need for more miracle working kind of faith and this call to forgive. We skip ahead a few decades and we read instruction from a man named Paul who, who started several churches. He was a missionary that traveled all around and stayed in contact with many of the churches that he started and there was a church in a city called Corinth and they were going through some stuff and there was a, a man in the church who was committing a pretty terrible sin and it was, everyone knew about it and he was unrepentant. He didn't want to stop doing it. He's just going to continue to do it and almost dare them to do something about it. And Paul said, distance yourself from him. When you get together and you fellowship and you join up in your small groups, just separate yourself from him. He needs to understand how important this is. But then in the second letter to that same church, he gives some instruction that seems to allude to the same problem. And he says in verse seven in 2 Corinthians chapter two, forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. In other words, I didn't want you to distance from him to punish him for all time. He's gonna waste away mentally and emotionally. He's not gonna come back for this. You need to forgive him and allow him to come back in and repair this because there is a connection between your mental and, physical, or mental and emotional healing and forgiveness. And then one more, a man named James wrote a few years later after that, and in James chapter five, verse 14 wrote, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, 
they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He said, if you're sick, if you're needing some physical healing and some physical help, there's a miracle to be had. Just call your church to pray over you. He said, in the process, there's some forgiveness that needs to take place. And when you confess your sins, you're going to experience forgiveness and it's going to release and open up this opportunity for more healing. So there's a connection between forgiveness and physical healing and those physical miracles that the people needed. So there's this connection all throughout God's word, all throughout God's story. Well, what if we don't? What if we say, well, that's, that's fine. I can read it. I can see it. I understand as well as you do, but I'm just not going to forgive. I'm going to continue to hold on to this grudge in my pocket. I'm going to bring it in one more time. I'm going to do my thing. And if that's my one issue, then I'll be fine. What Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you. So Jesus himself makes this connection between receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness. Well, then why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult to give someone that gift of forgiveness? It's almost as if Jesus just assumes it's going to happen for us. Why is it so difficult for us to do that? Well, let me read one final quote from scripture, one final quote from Jesus today. In Luke chapter seven, verse 47, it says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And if you go back to that Luke chapter seven and read the whole chapter, you find Jesus asking them some questions about debt and who is more thankful in the end and who is more grateful? Well, the person who's had the most amount of debt forgiven, that's the person that's more thankful. And Jesus begins to make this connection. He says, those who have truly been forgiven, those who have experienced the mercy of God on their mound of regret, they're often going to be the best forgivers. And they're going to be able to forgive more completely and more wholly. Whereas someone who is not as aware of, or maybe not as in need of that kind of forgiveness, that person is going to struggle a lot more to be able to forgive. I'm thankful for those of you who have been around God's truth for a long time and you've grown up in it and you've spent 30 or 40 years here, not at this particular church, we weren't here then, but 30 or 40 years in a spiritual family, that's a great thing. I'm one of them. But be very careful in your journey because the churchier and more religious you start to feel, the harder it's going to be for you to keep in mind the depths and the lengths that God went to to save you too. And sometimes it's easy to forget that. And sometimes the churchiest and most religious people are the most unkind, most unhelpful, most ungrateful, and most unforgiving people that you'll ever meet. Wow, we said that's right. We amen. <laughs> we amen to stick to ourselves. But it is true. It really is. Now, there's, a, there's another side to that. You know, if, if your life is so messed up and you're just, you look forward to finding somebody more messed up than you, you're like, ah, oh, you'd be all right because it makes you feel better about who you are. That's, not, that's a manipulation game that we need, we need to be wise enough not to play. My point is, if we ever get to a point where we've forgotten the price that Jesus had to pay for each of our sins, 
That's the danger zone. And that's where we begin to have a harder time forgiving other people. And I hope that we're acting more like Jesus, but I don't wanna ever be called religious or churchy. I don't wanna ever feel like I can't follow Jesus out there as well as I can follow him here. So be very careful. The more comfortable you get around God's people and around godly things, that you don't lose sight of how much it costs for Jesus to save you too and me. I've known Jesus since I was seven years old. I have a lot fewer regrets than I would have had if I had not met him until I was 27 years old. I know that. But I also know that it took the same amount of blood from Jesus to save me as it took to save the one who ran wild for 45 years and then turned to Jesus. All of us had to have our sin debt paid. So we go back to this connection here. Sometimes it's difficult for us to forgive and we lose sight of how much it took for Jesus to forgive us. But the last question, what if they don't say, I'm sorry? Okay, I'm willing to forgive. But Jesus said, if someone sins against you seven times in a day and he keeps coming back and repents and says, I'm sorry, but what if they never say, I'm sorry? And I circle back to the beginning of this story that we read. And I say story, I mean historical account. I believe every bit of it. But we circle back to the beginning of this moment. And this man is lowered down, just wanting someone to heal his legs, his feet. And Jesus begins by saying, your sins are forgiven. He didn't come down from the ceiling and say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a broken man. I've got all kinds of regrets. I can't even begin to say out loud the things I've done, the things I've thought, the places I've been. What I, I, I'm so humbled by this and I repent. And he didn't say any of those things. He came down maybe at best and just went, hey, I'm here. And, I'm here. and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And I don't want to make light of what you've been through because some of you have gone through some stuff. I understand that. But as I've said before, and I'll say again, some of you are waiting on an apology that's never going to happen. And yet the one thing that's missing, the one reason that you can't seem to break through and experience the freedom that God wants to give you is because you're holding on to this hurt instead of just allowing them to go and saying, God, ultimately, they've offended you more than they've offended me, so I'm going to allow you to handle this. What happened to you is inexcusable. What happened to you is not right. What happened to you should have consequences. What you've experienced should be righted, but it probably won't be the way you want it to be. But you can still forgive you can still release that in spite of not being able to hear those words and see those tears. It doesn't make it right, but you do in that moment have the mo a chance to be a miracle worker. Maybe you'll never place your hand on someone's feet and give them the ability to walk. And maybe you'll never place your hands on someone's head and experience the removal of a tumor or removal of cancer but you can look to someone who is overwhelmed with guilt and free them up and be the conduit that God uses to do a miracle in their lives, if you're willing. It's not easy. And the disciples, when Jesus said that, said, whew, we need bigger faith than that. 
And maybe all of us just need to be honest with God and today say, I'm going to need more faith. I'm going to need a bigger faith to be able to do that. And when God's people honestly go to him and say, God, I want to forgive these people. I just need the ability. I need a bigger faith to do that. God will answer that. And God will mercifully give you the ability and the power and the strength to be able to set him free. Thank you for joining us today. If you live in the area, we hope you will soon join us in person. If you were unable to do that, we hope you will continue to stay connected with us by following this podcast and sharing it with your friends. For more information, go to bridgeclarksville.com.